Hi there, it's been another wonderful day here in the northwest of the UK. It's been glorious, so it has. Welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. I think we're streaming loud and clear. There have been problems with Virgin Media in the UK today. A couple of times today, this morning and this afternoon, it seemed to write itself just around about two minutes to five. That's good news for you and me. We're live then. It's uh, Tuesday. As I've already said, I've got two very good guests for you today. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. Yeah, a little bit later on, I'll be joined by Kevin Barrett from truthjihad.com. Kevin, of course, a very good broadcaster and writer, amongst other things. He wears many hats, does Kevin. Before that, Caroline Farrow returns to The Richie Allen Show. Around about six months ago, Caroline was taken out of her home in front of her children and was arrested and was taken to the police station where she was accused of malicious communications of harassing trans people. None of it is true, by the way. Six months ago to the day. She's there from citizengo.org, an incredibly interesting lady, prescient, I think, what happened to her and what continues to go on. We'll talk with Caroline this hour. As usual, if you'd like to join in, do so via the website richieallen.co.uk. Now, if the stream happens to drop out, because apparently the issues that affected Virgin media today are serious. It might happen again. Fear not. I will carry on. He says, fear not. As if you'd fear. As if you'd be afeard, afeard or afraid. I'll carry on. That's what, that's what I was going to do, record as live. But please God, it'll stay connected between now and seven o'clock. But if it drops out, I'll carry on, do the show and put it online a bit later on. Apparently it was a very serious outage this morning. And because it's so dominant in the marketplace, Virgin, many millions of people were were without internet or had only partial internet. It was strange for me because I could could get onto some websites, but others I couldn't get on. Listen, I want to give a big shout out to Jonathan Stone, who's a friend of the programmes. He's a friend of mine. It's very mafia these days at the Richie Allen Show. We use this mafia lingo. Let me introduce you to Jonathan. He's a friend of mine. He's a friend of ours. There's a difference, isn't there, in the Mafia. Jonathan's an Irish guy, good guy, and he listens to Irish radio, as I would do if I was in Ireland. And he sent me some clips today, thank you, Jonathan, from a radio show known as Liveline, which is ordinarily presented by Joe Duffy, is that right? But Joe is away on Holliers. So it's being presented by Philip Boucher Hayes. And yesterday afternoon, they were discussing a book called, quote, This Book is Gay end quote. And the book apparently is educational about homosexual acts and it includes graphic descriptions of homosexual sex acts. Now what's wrong with that? I would say nothing whatsoever unless they're giving it to kids and yeah, they're giving it to kids. It's on the list of approved books for 12 to 17 year olds in libraries. So parents and teachers have formed a group and they don't like it, and they are going to public libraries to tell the librarians. Librarians. I remember my librarian on Browns Road, the lovely Phyllis, proper lovely lady she was. Didn't do too much of the shushing. She was very good with Phyllis. So they're going to public libraries in Ireland to say, don't allow children to borrow this book because it is graphic. So Philip Boucher Hayes, according to my pal Jonathan, is a bit woke. 
Now, I don't know much about him. And he's um, standing in for Joe Duffy, he is. And his bias, says Jonathan, is essentially saying, what's wrong with providing this educational material for children? It's the kind of thing we learned in the schoolyard. And that's exactly what Philip Boucher Hayes says. He says, sure, there's nothing wrong with it, like, sure, we heard worse in the playground, right? Have a listen to him now, dear listener. So what I'm seeing, though, is one book to call uh, This Book is Gay, which uses yeah. terms which... Frankly, uh, I and my friends would have been using when we were 11 or 12 years of age, which is a long, long time ago. So I can only imagine how widely what used and accepted for, they for example, are. Now. What terms are you talking about there? Um, all right. Younger ears, if you want to avert them now, do avert them now. Uh, this is wonderful. She has asked him. She's not happy about this book, this woman, understandably. And she has asked the stand-in presenter, what terms w- w- was he using in the playground back then? that are pretty harmless. Listen to this. This is comedy gold. Uh, bumming is a word. Bumming. That uh, was in use, I can tell you, in every school in Ireland right the way throughout the 1970s and 80s. Not in my school. I went to St. Saviour's National School, Nave Slonahora, uh, in Balibiog. We never heard bumming on the playground. Can't remember that. Uh, handies. Handies. Blowies. Blowies? Maybe as well. Maybe Never heard those terms when I was in school. Maybe a little bit more recently. But, you know, pl- plenty of terms there that are maybe, <laughs> maybe hurtful, maybe offensive, but are in wide circulation and are the kind of things that kids need explained to them. Kids need to be explained to. They need to be told what bummies and handies and blowies are. So, anyway, she, she rings off. And then a lovely gentleman from down the country rings in. And this, dear listener, could only happen in the Republic of Ireland. Bob Buckley, good afternoon. How are you? How are you doing, Bob? Hello, Philip. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm good, thank you. Thank you. What, thank you. what was your point? What did you want to say? You wanted to come on to say thank you. What I wanted to answer um, uh, explicitly and clearly, uh, Philip, was the question you asked about 10 or 15 minutes ago now, I suppose. You said, you asked what is wrong with anal sex to that lady. What is wrong with anal sex? That was on to you. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I want to tell you what I think is wrong with it, okay? That's why I rang. That's why I rang. Um, I rang up to tell you what I think is wrong with anal sex. I probably would not have rung otherwise, but it's just at that. Now, Bob, we are, we, are, we are going to have this conversation in a way that is respectful and not hurtful to homosexuals, aren't we? What? Well, let me say what I want to say, and I'll be. I'm obviously, I'm. Con- I, I will, of course, be. Yeah, well, if it, if it, I mean, you know, yeah, you look, let me say what I want to say, and I'll be on my way. Wait, but Bob, I, I, I want to hear you. I want to hear what it is that you have to say. But I also don't want people who are listening, uh, who are gay and are in loving relationships, and do whatever they do behind the privacy of their bedroom door, to not end up being hurt by whatever it is that gets broadcast on this program. So you and I can. How could they possibly be hurt? By somebody coming on to say, I'm a Christian and I think that anal sex is a sin. I don't think any gay man listening to the programme could really give an arse, boom boom, about that. Continue this conversation, but we'll do it in a respectful way, won't we? Won't we now, Bob? We will. We, oh, will. we, we will, we will. But if I make one comment... Um, uh, Philip, the only reason I'm on the phone is because you did ask the question and there's only one way to answer it. It was a straight question... And, and and I have a straight answer. I can't really I can't really compromise on my answer if that's what you want me to well, do. So, so long so long as you express it politely, go on. I will.
How, well, mu- how much time have they wasted on this? Well, I will have to on this point of order. Point of order there now, Bob. Point of order. We'll have this conversation in a way that doesn't in any way hurt gay people who might be listening to the programme. And I'll say, I, I, my, my answer is this, that um, me, as and I'm speaking only for myself because it's my opinion, uh, as a Christian and as a person who reads the Bible and as a person who has specifically studied the Bible from the point of view of what it says about homosexuality, okay? I, 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 as I read through the Bible, I note all the references to what we would call homosexuality. And for me, it is very clear in the Bible that... Uh, that it's against it. Um, as, as, as it says in my NIV version, men having sex with men, and these are the words it uses, um, is wrong. And when the Bible okay. says something, but that's all right for you. You want to you want to live you you want to live your life within the strictures of what it says in the Bible. Yeah, that's what he was brought up to do. Funnily enough, now I don't agree with Bob, and I'm not virtue signalling. My gay friends know this. I don't agree with him. But uh, what an exchange that was, national radio. And then he had the presenter Philip Boucher, whatever his name is, had another exchange. This time with a woman who's not happy about the books being in the libraries either. When I was in national school, neither today nor yesterday, all of those words were in circulation and we were a lot lot younger than 12. And the idea that we would have had something authoritative to go and explain to us what all of those is, as opposed to relying on the misinformation of other 10 and 11 year old kids. Misinformation from 10 and 11 year old kids. kids. Uh, I don't want my age 12 reading that. I don't want, as a concerned mother, if a a parent wants their kid to learn about that, buy them the book and read it at home. But what I will tell you is, if I drop my 12 or 13-year-old kid off at a library, I don't want them reading that. If you don't want them reading it, then you restrict their library card to stop them from borrowing it. How do you restrict, I suppose you can now. Library cards must be, they must be, they must be, say it boldly, well they must be electronic now, are they, in some way? I mean, we had a library card. It was a car. It, it was a cardboard thing. That's what it was, and it got stamped, didn't it? With whatever. Yeah. So yeah, maybe maybe he's right. Maybe it is pretty straightforward to to basically mark the card so the kid doesn't get to take out the book. Maybe. But if they go in, so can I ask a question? Right. If I drop an age twelve or thirteen year old off at the library or shopping a shopping mall, they go to shopping malls at thirteen. If I drop my child off at a library to study and read books, I should trust that under the Library Act it says books are categorized as age appropriate. Now, teaching a twelve year old to slide their mouth up and down the shaft of a cock. What? Let's go back. What did she just say there? As age appropriate. Now, teaching a twelve year old to slide their mouth up and down the shaft of a cock. A cock. It's not. Perfect okay. for my age 12 daughter. Okay. Not not perfect for my age 12 daughter. She said I would agree. Okay, not appropriate. Anyone, not appropriate. Anyone thinks it's appropriate, they're clearly a groomer. Okay, okay Jana. You fo- fo- follow your own advice from earlier on on the language, okay? He's now concerned about the language. He's now concerned about the language, as my mate Jonathan in Ireland pointed out. But earlier on, he, he had no problems with with children reading those very terms. Because that was a direct passage from the book, that graphic description of oral sex there. Yeah. These are some times we're living in. It is exactly 12 minutes past the hour. And it is exactly Tuesday's Richie Allen Show, the 4th of April, 2023. Love that. Thank you, John. Loved it. 
Loved it. The New Zealand Prime Minister got himself all twisted up yesterday. He got tied up in knots by a reporter. How? Well, he was asked the he was asked the the hardest question of all. The question that is tying prime ministers and first ministers and presidents up in knots and is destroying careers. What is the question? Sean, sure. um, I just wanted to ask you, uh, given comments by Keir Starmer and Britain, how do you and how does this government define a woman? How does the government define a woman? Um, I, to be honest, Sean, that's, that, that question's come slightly out of left field for, for me. It's come um, out of left field, Sean. Um, the, well, biology, sex, gender, um, <laughs> people define themselves, people define their own genders. <laughs> Has said that he believes 99.9% of women do not have penises. Yeah, that's about right, yeah. 99.99%. I know it's a strange thing for him to say, but given recent events in New Zealand, I'd ask again, how do you define what a woman is? Well, as I've, I, I think as I've just indicated, I wasn't expecting that question, so it's not something that I've... Uh, it's not a hard question. Um, you know, formulated, pre-formulated an answer on. But um, in terms of gender identity, I think people define their gender identity for themselves. What a dipstick. That is the president, excuse me, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Chris Hipkins, struggling. It's a question that's bringing down governments, man. It did for Nicola Sturgeon, didn't it? Who else did it do for? It might still do for Keir Starmer. He can't figure it out either. What's a woman, Keir? Um, Well, um, just say what it is. A woman, ovaries, a womb, adult human female, biological sex matters. On this particular subject, Nick Ferrari of LBC Radio, he invited a trans activist and podcast host onto LBC this morning to discuss the New Zealand Prime Minister's complete collapse in the face of such a pretty harmless question. This made me laugh. Nick Ferrari and trans activist and podcast host Frida Wallace. Frida. And were you to be asked, how would you define a woman? Yeah. Trans activist, how do you define a woman? Uh, would I define a woman? It's just exactly how I express my gender. Trans people don't walk into rooms and go, I am a woman. We live in a, all our language in society is gendered. It's how we are. We live in a polite society. So all our language is based around expressing gender, not sex. It's about gender. So when somebody asks me how I identify, well, I'm Frida. Frida. No, no, but I I hear that, Frida, and that's why I've addressed you, Frida, and and, and I've enjoyed our conversation. But were I to ask you for what your dictionary definition of a woman might be, how would you respond? How would you respond then, trans woman? What's the dictionary definition of woman, Frida? I'm an adult human female. No, you're not. You're an adult human female. and then... No, no, she's not, Nick. Take it on. Then if you come on to the fact that can a woman have a penis? Can a woman have a penis? Yes, some... <laughs> How can you say that without laughing? Have a penis. Yeah? Yes, some women do have penises. No, some women don't. Because some trans women do have penises. No, there's no such thing as a trans woman. It's gibberish. It's gibberish. It's a, a term that should be struck from the lexicon forevermore. It should never be used. It should be outlawed. It's a ridiculous term. There are men in drag. There are transvestites. And that's it. There's no such thing as a trans woman. You're either a woman or you're not a woman. 
How do you define woman? She's got ovaries. She's got a vagina. She can have a baby. That's what makes her a woman, surely. It's, it's very dis- it's very dangerous to go down this road of dehumanising and reducing people what, to what, body what? parts. Nobody is dehumanising you or reducing you to body parts, you cretin. You're just not a woman. Why do you think... Because, no, Nick, be... it's objectification. It's objectification. When it... people think about trans people, they need to start thinking of them as human beings, not a collection of body parts. But nobody has thought of trans people as body parts. We didn't give a shit about trans people until trans people decided that they were um, entitled to invade spaces that had been exclusively reserved for women. It was only at that point that the rest of us looked up and went, what's going on there? Prior to that, we coexisted peacefully. Men, women, and the confused. That's just ridiculous, Nick. If you want to take a lot of people on society on a journey so that they learn... I don't need to go on a fucking journey. I don't need to learn anything. I know what's going on. Gender dysphoria, there are men who think they are women, and they're not. I don't need to go on a journey to learn about that. Some re-education fucking program. No thanks, I, I get it. I know what's going on. Gender dysphoria has been around since, I don't know, I don't know, Nebuchadnezzar was in short trousers. It's been around since, it's always been a tiny, 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 tiny minority in society. Maybe they had a hard time years ago. These days, it's far from a hard time. There's no more tolerant place in the world than this crazy country we live in, which is um, maybe ironic anyway. They're going to Mm. ask questions, Frida. Because yes, this is that's an, why I do the podcast. Indeed, hold on, hold on. This is an unknown area to them, so sometimes they might accidentally say something that is upsetting mm-hmm. to you. They don't because they're well, just trying. They're just trying to learn. You, you must realize yeah. that we're not trying to learn anything. We want to be left alone. You know, I liked trans people when they wanted to be left alone. Leave me alone, and you know, don't, don't persecute me because I choose to live as a woman and wear women's clothes. You're absolutely right. I won't. 100% right. You're entitled to live as you want to live. As I said, we only took notice of it when it began to have an impact on women and on children. Right? Yeah, that's fine. If, if people are coming at it from a, you know, genuine questioning, you know, what is gender? I, I have conversations with people all the time about being trans, about gender. It doesn't have to come from a bad place. No. Why do what I dislike is uh, media people using these culture war polemics to beat other politicians. And we just need to realise that, you know, the Tory party is leaning so far right that Keir Starmer has to almost be right just to be the centre ground. And that's the problem. We need to stop voting this Tory party. We need to start looking at some serious policies. And we're living in a cost of living crisis. This is really a big issue for anybody. Mm. Yeah, touche. We live in a cost-of-living crisis, an energy crisis. Our leaders, who of course are as controlled as the leaders who came before them, are driving the world to the brink of World War Three. And you, no, just leave it there. It's a 19 and a half minutes past the hour. Why are you still telling the time? Because this will be going up later on. On the, on the, on the, say it for me, this will be going up later on, on Podomatic, iTunes and everything else. Let's talk about something else momentarily. Let's scroll on down and scroll on down. You see this uh, story today, I'm sure you have seen it. It's been picked up by pretty much everybody. And it's the story of a man who was effectively sentenced to community service. 
community service, having been found guilty of raping a 13-year-old girl, something that happened when he was 17, right? An adult in the eyes of the law. And um, because of my internet problems here now, I'm struggling to bring up the story. But Peter Blexley, detective, former detective with the Met Police, has had a lot to say about this and the leniency of this sentence. This happened in Scotland. Here's Blexley speaking to Julia Hartley Brewer earlier today on Talk TV. Well, I think on this occasion, the member of the Scottish judiciary that handed down what I believe is an unduly lenient sentence is clearly out of touch with the state of crime and particularly sexual offences in the UK. We have a staggeringly low rate of conviction for the offence of rape in the UK. And whilst this offender, Hogg, was 17 at the time, uh, it just goes to show the judge judge is completely out of touch. Sentences are supposed to have a deterrent element in them. And I don't think that 270 hours of possibly picking up litter is going to reform this character sufficiently enough, nor will it send send out a message loud and clear that the offence of rape and other sexual offences are utterly unacceptable and will not be tolerated. And will not be tolerated, yes. I've lost my notes here. It's one of those days today. The, um, let me bring it up here, if I can bring it up. Yes, Sean Hogg is the guy who is now 21, attacked the girl in Dalkeith Country Park in Midlothian on several occasions in 2018 and has been found guilty of that. It's a horrendous thing, obviously, and has been given 270 hours community service. Yeah. It's just mad, isn't it? This is the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live, well, not today, on richieallen.co.uk, Fab Radio 2 in Manchester, and we're on the TuneIn app, of course, as well. TuneIn.com. Look for the Richie Allen Show there. It's good to be with you. Back shortly. To all the listeners who have become loyal customers of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last year, we would like to say a big thank you. Because of your continued support, we have been able to introduce our second product. This unique supplement is formulated specifically to reduce pain caused by joint inflammation. Our organic turmeric-based supplement contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract which massively increases its bioavailability and thereby reaching the inflamed area faster. If you are suffering from joint pain, go to NutraHealth365.com for specific details on how our joint health supplement can help give you relief. That's NutraHealth365.com with free tracked delivery. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. Yes, and you probably will have noted that I haven't mentioned former US President Donald Trump. No, I haven't. He's in New York. He faces indictment. In fact, it was leaked earlier on today that he he faces 34 felony counts. This is to do with money allegations about how how it how his finances were managed how they were recorded money that was allegedly given to a former porn star uh, called Stormy Daniels to keep her quiet i'm not interested in any of this really for reasons i've outlined a thousand five hundred times over the years none of it matters i feel great sympathy for those who believe that donald trump is somehow real 
and that somehow represents some sort of threat to the status quo. He doesn't, in my opinion. I've been saying it since he ran for president in 2015. Took a lot of flack then, but it's not about me, 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 this programme. But a lot of people couldn't understand why why I would say that. That Donald Trump was, was, was no threat to the establishment. And what did we get in four years? Everything that I said would happen. Nothing happened. Nothing. None of the promises made by Trump, which rallied the rabble of idiots that supported him, you know, that would 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 have thrown themselves off a bridge for him, so convinced were they of the guy's legitimacy. And though nothing came to pass, nothing happened, Trump didn't do anything he said he would do. Didn't matter, they're still out there screaming for him today, so it doesn't matter. It's a massive puppet show. And I think, my and this is just opinion, this is just conjecture. I've said this before, and I'll say it again if it needs to be said. At some stage in the early 2010s, this is my opinion, those who are pulling the strings, right, those who control the think tanks and the NGOs, which in turn control the politicians, who don't control anything, right, those who really control what goes on, those behind the Great Reset Agenda, Agenda 2030, I'll get to the point. It is my opinion that 12, 13 years ago, they began to see that there was a real shift in thinking in the United States and in Western Europe. They began to realise that people were seeing through the system and understanding that they couldn't change anything by replacing Party A with Party B or President C with President D. It was dawning on people. And this, this was a time when you didn't have the algorithmic, if there's such a term, I don't think there is, you didn't have the interfering from the big tech companies. So the internet was a far more open place. And this is the reason. I think Donald Trump was the elite's response to that. God, they have disengaged. They are seeing through it, the charade, that it doesn't matter, that it is a rigged game. And I think the response to that was Donald Trump. Not just Donald Trump in the United States, but other right-of-centre populist leaders elsewhere in the world to fool the people again into believing that there was actually a viable alternative. Somebody who really would stand up for the man. Somebody who would stand up for the little guy. And that's okay that people were fooled again. What I can't understand, and I'm finding it difficult to forgive, is that people keep getting fooled. What did W. Bush say that time? He butchered that old adage, didn't he? He butchered it. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Trump, I, I don't know what will happen. I don't care. But if Trump was to be returned to the White House next year, next November, nothing would happen. The agenda would go forward as quickly as it would have if another president got elected. And Trump's fans will still cheer him and will still tell guys like me that we're wrong and that we're shills. And that's how it is. It's a, it's, it's a shit show, really. Yeah, so he's in New York, the first president in US history to face criminal charges. And to me, it's just theatre. Scripted theatre. Time for a tune. When I come back from this, Caroline Farrow on Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. 
with me, the BBG, live from Salford, the dirty old town. This is Angel of Harlem, the time, 28 past five. You too, Angel of Harlem from Rattle and Tom, 1989. This is the Richie Allen Show. It's Tuesday's programme, April 4th, 2023. That's the one. And it's, uh, these things are sent to try if these uh, internet things still down. But uh, maybe not down, maybe we're back now. We could be back, we might be back. Listen, let's welcome back to the programme the campaigns director at uh, citizengold.org. It is the inimitable Caroline Farrow. How are you doing, Caroline? Yeah, not so bad, Richie. How are you? I'm not too shabby at all. Um, Nice to catch up with you last week. And I said, right, I'll try and get you on this week. And I didn't realise in the meantime that it is six months since your ordeal and your family's ordeal last year. And I don't want to be sensationalising stuff or over-dramatising it. But that's about one of the worst things I've covered in all of my years as a journalist. And also one of the most chilling things that the police could do this to to anybody. So six months later, do you want to summarise just what happened and kind of where we are now, if you don't mind? Well, yeah, so six months ago, um, I was uh, arrested at home uh, in front of my children. Um, I have five children. One was at university. Uh, My two youngest children are diagnosed with autism. And the police just uh, came to my door. Uh, I was cooking the dinner. I was doing a roast chicken dinner, uh, which has just sort of been a meme that's stuck, really, uh, just because the whole banality of the situation you know one minute I was uh doing the washing and um cooking a chicken for dinner uh, and the next thing I know the police are at the door they're saying that there's been an allegation um and when you're arrested the police have to and they said to me sorry can we come in and I said have you got a warrant and this big burly officer said no we don't need a warrant um but I was sort of pushed his way into the house and said, read me my rights and said, you're being arrested. And when you're arrested, the police have to give you a reason why they're arresting you. Um, And so they told me that they were arresting me so they could seize all my electronic devices because there had been an allegation made that I, that well, at that point, I was told that there'd been an allegation made uh, that I'd been committing crimes uh, on the internet. When I got into interview, it became clear that I I was being accused of posting um, offensive memes to offensive cartoons on the internet. Uh, And so they needed to seize my devices in order uh, to check out these allegations to see whether or not I had in fact uh, posted these memes. They had no evidence. So when they're in interview, the police were able to offer no evidence suggesting that it was me or pointing to to the fact it might be me. They had no IP data. They hadn't been to the host of the website to ask. Um, They just, the complainant, a complainant had said, well, I think it's Caroline Farrow. Um, And and that was enough for the police to go, oh, right. Um, And it was because there were two complainants, uh, one complainant who had been, uh, reporting me for a number of years because he doesn't like my views on Twitter. Um, the other one, we don't know who that was. It, it seems to have been a, a friend, one of their friends. Um, but it was certainly very coordinated. So they came and they they took my electronic devices in order to see whether or not I had posted these memes. Um, and in fact, had they done any preliminary work or 
due diligence, they would have gone to the website hosts. And secondly, um, actually, these posters, it couldn't have been me because a lot of the time they post on a Sunday morning. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a church goer, I'm a Catholic, and I play the organ um, yeah. for Sunday Mass uh, the majority of the time. And so these posts had taken place uh, at a time when I'd been in 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 church playing the organ and furthermore you know when I'm playing the organ in church uh, I sit in a very public area you know people can see me and I also have my children uh, with me so the idea that I was sort of furtively <laughs> going onto the internet and posting under an unknown pseudonym in in the middle of mass is uh, quite absurd so um, had the police even talked to me about that then then I would have been able to say well no, this isn't me. Um, but no, they just came and seized my devices. Um, they also as well took uh, my daughter's iPad that she she has been using for her homeschool work. And she has the Harry Potter books on there and she loves. Um, and six months later, I haven't had any update from the police at all as to the investigation, whether I'm going to be charged, whether I'm not going to be charged. I haven't had any of my devices back. Um, and I'm left in limbo. And interestingly, I was just doing a little bit of research earlier. I was looking at the Law Society and various websites. And this situation that I'm in, um, being released under investigation, is deemed to be completely unacceptable by the police because it leaves everybody in limbo. You just don't know. Your life's on hold. You don't know if you're going to face uh, criminal charges or not. Um, and it is very. And there's also there's a whole set of procedures that ought to be followed when you're arresting somebody in front of children. Things like they ought to try and ensure that children aren't around. Well, of yeah. course, they came to my house at, four, at tea time. So, of course, um, it's fairly obvious children are going to be around. They are also supposed to... Um, allow you time to explain to your children what's happening uh, and, and to sort of, you know, for you to give contact details to people. They, d they didn't do any of that. They basically came in, um, took my devices uh, and, and searched me and, and took me away. And, and it, it is very, it's very chilling to know that this can happen. Yeah, but and you, you've, you've posted today, Caroline is on Twitter, it's at CF um, underscore Faro. So it's at C for Caroline, F for Faro, underscore Faro. And it's a pretty heartfelt um, thread that I read it today. It's had, mm. it's had a lasting effect on the children, this. Well, yes, because, um, so, t as I said, t two of my children are diagnosed with autism. And if you know anything about autistic spectrum condition, you, you understand that children need uh, stability and routine. Uh, and a lot of children with autism have an underlying anxiety. Uh, and so the idea that actually the police can just come and um, you know, take your stuff has, has, has caused them anxiety, particularly as, as one of the devices that was taken belonged to my daughter. So she doesn't quite understand why that was and just thinks it's stupid and ridiculous. And, and there's also a sense that, are they going to come back and take other stuff? So, you know, she um, went and hid her, her Beanie Boo collection under her bed in case the, the police came back and, and, and took it because for them it's completely arbitrary. My son came 
into my bedroom the next morning. He was so relieved that I was back. He was like, "Mummy, yeah, mummy, yeah. you're back." He said, "Oh, was the food nice? Was it a rela- Was it a nice bed?" You know, I was like, <laughs> I "Haven't been in the hotel." Um, and then he needed some time to be taken aside uh, by his teacher because he kept having worrisome and intrusive thoughts about, "Are the police coming back? What's what's happening?" Um, you know, or when I get still, home, when I get home, will mommy be there when I get home? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, yeah. I, and I know that when I do, I sometimes travel for work, and so when I do overseas trips, that has to be very carefully managed, and explained to the children uh, exactly what's happening, when I'm going to be here, when I'm not going to be here, and I can't hand on heart say to my children, "Look, it's okay; they're not going to come back." Because we don't know that, don't know. Uh, particularly as we, you know, the, the various transgender a- activists involved like to make jokes about coming to my house and, you know, and they think the whole thing is so amusing and a complete riot uh, and, you know, joking about, you know, making roast chicken and, you know, they, they, they like to mock me and they think it's really, really funny and amusing. And yeah, but hang on, but, and, and this is very serious because how can it be possible that you can be frog-marched out of your own home, a lady, a Christian lady with her children there. He said it was banal. Five kids, banal. I don't believe it for a minute. It's chaos, I guess, sometimes in the house, right? So, and that can happen because somebody says, oh, I was targeted by a meme I didn't like. And yet people can joke about coming to get you. And Mm -hmm. as far as I understand, Mm -hmm. they don't expect to have the old bill come and knock on their doors. No, and and what 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 really enrages me over this is that a few years ago, I had there was a, a website set up that was directly targeted at me, and it made uh, the most graphic sexual and violent threats, uh, threats of violence. It, it targeted uh, my children. It talked about you know threats of acid attack, and you know they, at one point it said your children are too ugly, so we wouldn't bother throwing acid over them. Um, you know it was really quite frightening and we had a series you know and the police never seized devices over that we were told oh something has to be really really serious for us to uh, seize devices um, and they had a suspect for that and they gave the suspects you know like six to eight weeks warning that they'd be interviewed under caution so of course that gave the suspect plenty of time to dispose of, oh, of anything yeah. um, and they, they decided not to charge um, on other occasions we had you know, a series of fast foods delivered to our house at all hours. You know, it would be like between seven and ten times a day for a period of a few weeks. Um, that And then that started up again a year later and I called the police. Um, I had a man who thought it was really hilarious to keep changing his Twitter bio to, to show landmarks near my house and to say, oh, I'm, I'm coming, I'm on my way. Police did nothing. Absolutely nothing. And it, when it came to like the pizzas and the, the the Indian food and things that were being sent, you know, this was costing businesses money. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the police just decided it wasn't a proportionate use of resources. Now, uh, can to... you? Sorry to interrupt. Can is this? Is it ongoing? Are you going to try and get some recompense where the policing is concerned? Are you pursuing the police? Oh, absolutely. So we've 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 put in. Um, a claim I'm suing the police uh, at the moment it's sort of <laughs> if you know anything about the legal system at the moment there's lots of backlogs and things and so it's sort of caught in a slight um, administrative uh, ping pong uh, you know the technical ping pong sort of going forth between uh, my solicitors and the police solicitors and the 
Sorry, we lost you momentarily there, Caroline. Let me see if I can get you back. Um, Caroline has just dropped out. Her connection has just dropped out. It's uh, 17 minutes to the top of the hour. What I'll do is I'll disconnect and reconnect with her and hope we can get her uh, back on. Just to let you know, there are all sorts of problems in the UK today. This began this morning. It's carried on into this afternoon. One of the biggest providers of internet services in the country is Virgin, and it has had big outage problems in the, in the northwest and the northeast of the country, predominantly as far as I understand, and we're all over the place. So if you're listening to this on the podcast um, and you try to listen to it live, you'll understand now what was going on. And I'm struggling to get Caroline back on the line as... Uh, as it happens, let me see, can I just bring her back up there? That was another minor outage there, you see. Let's see, can we get her back on? And in the meantime, I'll just do the... Oh, yeah, the connection is, is weak, it's telling me. Right, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take a tune and give it a couple of minutes to re-establish the connection, and then hopefully we can pick it back up again with Caroline. Uh, before we do that, though, let me do this. To all the listeners who have become loyal customers of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last year, we would like to say a big thank you. Because of your continued support, we have been able to introduce our second product. This unique supplement is formulated specifically to reduce pain caused by joint inflammation. Our organic turmeric-based supplement contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract which massively increases its bioavailability and thereby reaching the inflamed area faster. If you are suffering from joint pain, go to NutraHealth365.com for specific details on how our joint health supplement can help give you relief. That's NutraHealth365.com with free tract delivery. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Caroline, I've been explaining to the listeners what's been going yeah. on. Virgin is having huge outage problems in the northwest and the northeast. Most of us were without internet this morning. They said they'd fixed it. The, the, the media is all over this, funnily enough, today. And it's coming in and out at the moment. So please, God, it'll... It'll hold um, out for another few minutes because this is hugely important. Just before we lost the connection, you were telling me you are obviously suing the police, but you said because of things that have gone on in the last three years, there are backlogs and there are delays, and that's when we lost you. Yes, so basically uh, we're, we're caught in a bit of a bit of administrative uh, ping-pong, but we have... Sorry, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, so we, we, have, we have got that... Um, system in process and I think it's it's hugely important uh, not just because uh, my family deserves compensation for, for what we've been through um, but actually it would act, to act as a deterrent to, to stop them from doing this to anybody else you know they need to be held accountable we need to know okay what was your thought process here why did you why did you not try and do any sort of due diligence or evidence gathering why did you not in look into the background of the complainant because the complainant has uh, a history of i'm not the first woman he's had arrested in front of their children um he's had you know another two mothers arrested in front of their children and and some some men as well you know caroline sorry for the interruption is are we talking about a man who thinks he's a woman that's right right um, and so, yes, he's had he, he's got a history of complaining about people to the police for online comments. 
Um, and so you have to ask yourself, is it really true that however many people have, have been harassing him? And so the police didn't do any background check uh, on the complainant. And I think if they had done a background check, then it would have become more apparent that there might be more to this than, it, than meets the eye. And when I was arrested, I did say to the police, look, you realise that I'm like the third mother now he's had arrested in front of their children. And they said, oh, Caroline, <laughs> save that for interview. Right, OK. And and so I sort of had to fill them in on, on you know, some of the history that had gone on here. Um, and in fact, they just appeared to, um, you know, take him at his word. And I think that's quite concerning because there's a balance, isn't there? Of course, you you complain to the police about something and you want to be taken seriously and you want this to be actioned. But just because somebody reports something to the police doesn't necessarily mean that their accusation or allegations are gospel truth. Absolutely. And 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 in my case, uh, th that's you know that's certainly the case. The allegations that were made about me were not true, and so the police came and subjected my family to a huge amount of trauma, essentially on a fishing trip, a fishing trip. Sorry, in order to see whether or not there was any truth. And even Surrey Police admitted that. So they, because there was an outcry when it happened, they produced a rather mealy-mouthed statement and said, oh, as is standard procedure, you know, when a crime is said to have been committed, when, when some uh, grossly indecent uh, material is uh, said to have been post posted, then, uh, you know, it's investigated to see whether or not it is a crime. And I was thinking, well, shouldn't you work out whether or not it is a crime? And then, you know, see what the evidence is before arresting innocent people. I mean, it's it's a bit like me saying, Richie Allen came and you know, hit me on the head. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then coming to arrest you. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I could say, well, Richie Allen hit me around the head and, you know, make up a whole allegation. And then the police would, you would hope, uh, sort of look into that a bit further rather than just going, oh, my goodness, that's really terrible. I'm coming to your house to arrest you to see if there is any evidence whether what you did. Caroline, can I just disconnect and reconnect this call mm. really quickly? Because I think if I do, it'll clear out just a little bit of... Um, it's breaking up just a little bit. And the internet seems to be working now. And oh, it's been a mad old day here at BBG Tower. Let's see if we can get Caroline back on. And hopefully that, hopefully that's a bit better now. I think it might be. Hopefully, yes. So, oh, it is, so thank God. It, it's about that balance, I was saying, Richie, between yeah. ensuring ensuring that you know complainants are complaints are substantiated, um, and that they you know there is actually enough for them to go on, rather than basically I was read a whole laundry list of things I was supposed to have done, and I said to them, you know, I can I couldn't quite believe some of the accusations, and I was saying, where's your evidence for this? Um, which, you know, in some ways can make you look a bit guilty yeah. because it's like, oh, where's your evidence? Oh, prove it. But it was like, well, you know, you're accusing me of doing all these things and, and I, I genuinely couldn't understand it. it was sort of like, well, well, the intellectual position is to say, please show me your evidence because it's, it's one thing to say, well, obviously I didn't do this, but then you want to see the evidence. Caroline, I'm going to ask you this because I, I know we've got maybe 10, maybe 12 minutes left mm. and this is hugely important. 
We're speaking with Caroline Farrell, by the way. Um, do check out citizengo.org. Um, oh, at, yes. <laughs> look, at the, look at the campaigns on there. And I want to ask you about Geneva and were you in Geneva? Was it, was it anything to do with all of this? But before I do that, <coughs> right, and you're smothering by the sounds of it, um, like, like everybody up here as well, everybody's got the cold and the lorgy and everything else. Um, and I suppose having five kids doesn't help because they'll give it to you too, won't they? So, so, so tell me this, right? Um, so we, we saw Kelly J. Keane go to New Zealand and we saw what happened there. It was disturbing. Look, I'm not a guy who's easily disturbed, but it's disturbing to see people behave in the way that some of these trans activists behaved. It's disturbing to see a senior citizen getting beaten up by a man. Then Kelly J. Keane has to basically cancel a trip to Ireland because of threats against her. There's so much rage out there. James Whale from Talk TV was interviewing Frida Wallace, who's a trans activist, and the call went pear-shaped when James Whale asked Frida Wallace to explain where all the anger is coming from. And all that Frida Wallace did was just got more angry or or more Mm. passive-aggressive, maybe. I'm not saying this again because it's the tabloid thing to say. I fear somebody's going to be killed. Yes, I, I do. And that's why I've been very worried. Um, over, you know, four years ago, when I, I was talking about this abusive blog, it was escalating and escalating and escalating. Um, and, you know, at some point you think, gosh, is this going to spill over? At the moment, I've got, um, there's a, a Twitter account out there that has posted about me over 3,000 times. Uh, I mean, literally, I, I've blocked it, you know, and everyone says block and ignore. But when someone is obsessed with you, to that level, you it's really worrying because you just think they're not getting anywhere. So where do they go next? And there is there's this huge amount of rage and anger building. And I think it's existential. And it's women like Kelly J and myself and, and other women who are getting it mainly because we're women and we're outspoken and we will not you know, we will not, although it's very difficult and very chilling and very frightening at times when, when things like this happen, we're not going to allow uh, ourselves to be silenced because it's just too important. Isn't it mental I- to think that this goes back to, again, forgive the interruption, isn't it terrible to think that where this, the, the genesis of this is women saying, listen, biological sex matters and spaces that were reserved exclusively for women should be reserved exclusively for women. Again, I'm not trying to synopsize or, or to kind of, you know, gloss over three, four, five, six years of things that have happened. But that's basically it, isn't it? It's women saying, listen, yeah. we're women. And, like, go it's, ahead. It's like, it's like little boys uh, or little children <laughs> being told no and being told very firmly, and the rage and the anger is, you know, that frustration. They're very frustrated because they are being told no, uh, and and they can't contain their frustration, and it's it's spilling out. And you know, a, a lot of these activists obviously do have a mental disorder. And I, you know, again, we're not allowed how to talk about mental disorder because, you know, stigma, etc. But clearly there is something not functioning well within their psyche if they feel such enormous distress uh, at their normal, healthy, natural bodies that, you know, they wish they were born into the opposite sex and that they wish their bodies were different. And, you know, it's this wanting to be 
they're not at peace with themselves. It's, it's wanting to be accepted by the world unconditionally as being a member of the opposite sex. And they're not. And the reason they're not is not necessarily, it's not born out of any hatred or dislike, but actually women have an, an inbuilt natural defense mechanism. We know when there's a man about, we know what our boundaries are. And actually we, we just don't want men in our intimate changing spaces it's not fair when we have men taking our places in sports teams. You know, you have a woman who's worked all her life to get a place on that athletics team or or in that squad, and suddenly her lifetime of work is 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 knocked out by by essentially someone cheating. And this is why yeah. Sharon Davis feels so strongly about this because she was cheated out of her Olympic medals back in the eighties for a very similar reason because of East German female athletes on testosterone to improve their performance so you know and it's like this whole over the last I think since the gender reform act came in there's been this whole edifice built this this house of cards on gender identity and you know somebody can somebody is who they identify as and suddenly that house of cards or the Jenga belt block you know is being pulled away and everything's collapsing and everybody is seeing this for what it is and there is an outpouring of rage and so women who are very firmly standing up and saying no no we want our daughters to be able to get changed in peace and you know we want our our, our boundaries and our rights uh, and we're not asking for anything unreasonable we're not asking you know this isn't about hatred this is about okay you're you identify as transgender well why don't you campaign for a third space but of course the activists don't want that they don't want a, a third category or a third space because they want to be unconditionally and uncritically uh, accepted of, as women and then of course you do have as i'm sure you've covered you know the, the male criminals who yeah. as soon as they're convicted of rape suddenly identify as a woman and 51 percent in scotland 51 percent amazingly <laughs> All of a sudden yeah. realised they were women. What a coincidence. Yeah. You know, and you can't, to be fair, I don't blame them in, yeah, after in the that conviction, respect. Yeah. Because you you as a bloke, you're, you know, imprisoned for a really horrible, heinous sexual offence. You, you know, we know that, that rapists don't have a good time in prison. So you say, oh, well, actually, I identify as a woman and you get transferred out into the um, women's estate. You can't actually blame these blokes for giving it a go. Uh, I'm not saying it's right, but it's, no. it's 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 human nature. I should qualify uh, that by the way they they looked at trans post conviction trans women. That's men who identify as women, and they found that um, 51% of of them had they had their conversion after they were convicted, which is which is staggering. Before we do run out of time, a couple of things, right? We've spoken very eloquently about why this, this has happened and, and that's really important that people don't forget this in all the madness and all the threats and the trans day of rage that people don't forget what this is really about. It's about women feeling safe and having the right to spaces exclusively reserved for women. Look, it seems to have destroyed Nicola Sturgeon. I wouldn't rule out yet, I'm not saying I'm backing this, but I wouldn't rule it out that it will destroy Keir Starmer. Um, the New Zealand Prime Minister, um, I, I couldn't stop laughing at him, Hipkins, yesterday yes. stum stumbling around. You know, you're screaming at the television, biological, um, adult human female, pal. 
Someone with a woman oh. with ovaries. Just say what a woman is and be done with it. It's move absurd, on. isn't it? And he said, oh, that, that question, I wasn't expecting that question. Yeah. It's rather left field. <laughs> no, well, it's not hard. What's no. a woman? You know, it's... it's yeah, I never... <laughs> I, you know, I, I did I did biology for my leaving certificate. I, I barely scraped a pass, as far as I can remember. But I was pretty clear about what um, constitutes a woman. So look, um, this is going to go on and on, of course. You said to me last week, you can't talk to you, Rich. You can't do any media. I'm in Geneva. Is that, re- I'm presuming that's, I know you do a lot of campaigns, but is that related to this? No, that was related to, um probably heard of the case of the woman who was interrogated and, and arrested for the thought, contents of her prayers. She was stood oh, outside yeah. a cl- closed abortion facility um, and she was just, you know, standing there praying. And she she deliberately chose a time when the abortion facility was closed so she couldn't be said to be intimidating anybody. Um, and, you know, the police came up to her and, and said, what are you doing? Now, if she'd said, well, I'm thinking about global warming or I'm thinking about what I ate for my lunch, uh, then that would be fine. But because she said she was praying, you know, she was having a silent conversation in her head between her and her creator, um, then the police arrested her. Uh, so that then went to trial <laughs> and, you know, the, the police offered no evidence and she was acquitted. Uh, so she thought this was absolutely fine. So she went back and she's been arrested again. So there is, um, there's an issue around um, buff, you know, abortion clinic uh, buffer zones. Now, clearly no woman sh- should... Anybody entering that clinic or that facility should not be subject to undue harassment or any, well, any harassment, sorry. And we all agree that harassment of people is unacceptable and shouldn't happen. But actually, what we are seeing is that people who are not harassing passers-by, people who are just engaged in prayer, and they're also trying to offer outreach, because very often outside these facilities is the only place where women get a legitimate offer of help, you know, and get because we know these choices aren't make, made in a vacuum. Very often people do opt for an abortion because they feel there is no other choice. And anyone who's sort of there offering a leaflet or, or you know, just praying silently uh, is deemed to be harassing women yeah. because basically um, women want to feel that they can go in. Uh, and, and, you know... She was on, oh. um, would you believe, she was on the programme, Isabel was on with me. And okay. uh, I, I found her lovely and she was really open to, you know, I gave her a bit of a, you know, I, I challenged her quite a bit on, mm-hmm. on, what, on what was really going on. And, you know, I, I asked her, like, you know, to be very clear about that there wasn't any harassment and there wasn't. It, it is as you said it and she was very good on the programme. We had a really nice conversation. Again, you're, this is Orwellian and it's Orwellian times too, this, isn't it? That these things are happening today in our yes, free and, and society. The, and we, I, you know, it's very easy, I think, you know, with the abortion issue, because we can all agree that women shouldn't be harassed and they shouldn't, you know, and, and women shouldn't be, you know, s- subject to any abuse or, or horrible pressure or anything like that. But actually, so much of this is to do with how somebody else perceives what you're doing as opposed to what you're actually doing or what's actually going on. So if somebody feels offended by you, then your actions must be harassment and, and, and wrong. So, you know, we've we've seen this in um, this week. There's been a survey released by the Catholic Union about how uh, there's a bit of a blind spot about religion at work. And somebody was subject to a formal investigation by their employer because they said, God, God bless. Um, and so anything that is perceived as, as sort of being proselytism is then like harassment, you know, 
expressing your religious beliefs is seen as harassment because somebody else might not share them. Uh, and we need to strike a better balance, I think. Caroline, it's brilliant having you on. Thanks for coming on, even though you're a little bit under the weather today. Um, you're always welcome back. Don't wait to be invited back. Folks, go and check out the campaigns at citizengo.org. Listen, free speech is, it's never been more important that we stand up for free speech. It's never been more important. This is going to sound really awful. Like, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a bit of a ham, but I mean it. It's important to stand up for women and for women's rights. Um, mm-hmm. uh, everybody should do it now. You know, men are not women. Women don't have a penis. And do you know you said something earlier about this this thing of kind of some trans people want to be validated and they want their lived experiences to be enshrined almost in you know as fact and this is how things are and we have to go along with it and and unquestioningly the thing that really upsets me not upsets me that I can't get my head around is I'm a 48 year old radio guy I came up in commercial radio I was surrounded by all sorts of people and all sorts of characters gay men gay women and one or two trans people and they never wanted any of this to trans people they never wanted any of this they knew you know I'm I've got gender dysphoria um I'm just more comfortable living like this yeah 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 and and, you know and and there there are there are there's a there is a small minority of people who genuinely do have gender dysphoria and they do feel uh you know more comfortable presenting as the opposite sex and you know everybody deserves dignity respect and and compassion and to be able to live their life And, and nobody it's really interesting they say oh trans rights trans rights but but what rights are they wanting that they don't already have or what rights do they think that are being taken away from them and and there aren't any rights that are are being removed from them what they want is a non-existent right and that is to be uncritically accepted as the opposite sex in all circumstances even when it causes a risk to other people or, or you know sets back somebody else's rights so um yeah, you know, as, as you say, it, it's it's really it's been really awful for for the you know small minority of people who do gen, genuinely have gender dysphoria and are being made out to be some you know l- really lunatic fringe. Um, it, you know, it's not helping tolerance at all. Brilliant of you to come come back on citizengo.org. You have been listening to Caroline uh, Farrow, the campaigns director for that. And listen, good luck with this case against the police I'm like you I don't have anything against the police but they were wrong they need to be punished for it it, mm. it needs to it needs to be made absolutely clear that this is not acceptable and it shouldn't happen to you or any other woman or any other man Caroline so no. all the best Thank with you. that alright take care thanks Richard. lovely to speak to you Caroline Farrell love having her on citizengo.org these are serious issues five minutes past the hour we I'm talking kind of to myself now really because we're still not streaming. It is, 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 it is. It's Tuesday, coming up for five and a half minutes past six o'clock. Kevin Barrett will be with me in a moment. You're listening to this on Podomatic, on iTunes, or some other blooming, some other blooming uh, provider. Back after this. To all the listeners who have become loyal customers of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last year, we would like to say a big thank you. Because of your continued support, we have been able to introduce our second product. This unique supplement is formulated specifically to reduce pain caused by joint inflammation. Our organic turmeric-based supplement contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract which massively increases its bioavailability and thereby 
reaching the inflamed area faster. If you are suffering from joint pain, go to NutraHealth365.com for specific details on how our joint health supplement can help give you relief. That's NutraHealth365.com with free tracked delivery. You're listening to your Richie Allen show on richieallen.co.uk. Yeah, listen, there's a little bit of an update on the apps. You know, I've been telling you that pretty soon the show will have an app on the App Store and on Google Play. Well, the manufacturers of the app have submitted it to Google and to Apple, which is great. But as they told me today, that means it's out of their hands and all they can do is gently probe every day or two the people at Apple and the people at Google to publish the app, which they think will happen pretty soon, but we don't know when. So the app will be available, but it'll be later this week. It could be the weekend. It could be in a half an hour. You just don't know, and they don't know. But it's um, looking really well and tidy and neat, and I'm pretty happy with it. Seven minutes past the hour. Okie doke. The, all these old habits are... You know, I'm not on air on air. I'm not live live, but I'm I'm acting as if I am. There's no harm in that. So I've just heard from Kevin Barrett, the lovely Kevin, old pal of mine. He's standing by in Wisconsin. We'll get him on after this from Rita Coolidge. Rita Coolidge. This is one of the better James Bond songs. I think you'll agree with me on that. Back in two and a half or Rita Coolidge and All Time High, the film was Octopussy, Roger Moore. He should have retired several years before that, but he didn't. He went on to make another James Bond film called A View to a Kill with Grace Jones and Christopher Walken. Ah, Christopher Walken. There's a dark character now, Christopher Walken. Let's welcome back to the programme a terrific educator, a broadcaster, a writer, and all-round good guy, Kevin Barrett, truthjihad.com. You'll find him on Substack. You'll find him, well, you'll find him on lots of places. We'll put all the links on the podcast later on. Kevin, welcome back. Hey, hello, Richie. How's it going? It's been, it's going really well. Hey, Christopher Walken, bit of a sinister character, eh? I was reading up, uh, this is completely unrelated to what we're going to talk about now, but I was reading up about the death of Natalie Wood and uh, Robert Wagner. And apparently Christopher Walken was on that, that boat, that, 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 that yacht, the night that Natalie Wood disappeared. It's all very sinister, that, Kev. Do you know that story, you do? Yeah, you know, I, I remember uh, looking into that many, many years ago when I wrote my very first book in uh, 1994. It was called Dr. Weird's Weird Tours, A Guide to Mysterious San Francisco. And so I, I was taking tourists around by way of this tour guide to the sites where all this bizarre stuff had happened, you know, where Charles Manson's family lived and where the Jefferson Airplane House and where Allen Ginsberg OD'd on peyote buttons and, yeah. and started ranting howl and things like that. And so that scandal was one of the many things I ran into doing that research. Brilliant, Kevin. It's something we might talk about on a future program, just to kind of lighten it up when things get really bad again, Kevin. In a few years' time when it's really bad, just before they're marching us off to the gulags. We need a bit of light relief. Let's get Kevin on to talk about the mysterious um, stories of San Francisco. Let's talk about something very serious. You use Substack. I'm glad you do. I do read you. You can challenge me if you want um, on, on that point. I do read you. I read John Waters as well. I know you know John. I love um, the fact that it's out there. Now, the Anti-Defamation League, which purports to be an organisation which looks out for 
bigotry and tries to protect Jews from hatred and bigotry. Um, you sent me a really interesting link from the ADL's own website. It's um, got Substack in its targets, Kevin, in its sites even. Yeah, they're doing their usual thing, which is to attack a platform that's got free speech offering views that they disagree with. And then what they do is they kind of go through trolling for various things that they can grab some quotes, mostly out of context. And, you know, they'll find the good, the bad, the ugly and throw it all together. And they'll they'll say, here's the anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist, Kevin Barrett. And then here's here's this guy who's claimed that, uh, you know, there are uh, reptiles on Mars with Elvis and you know, whatever. <laughs> Just throw it all together. Oh, and here's this Nazi who wants to exterminate all whatever. And uh, then they'll claim you know, basically what they're trying to do is pressure Substack to get rid of the people that they don't like. And I'm pretty close to the top of that list. And I'm honored because it's been a few years since they paid attention to me. And I was starting to wonder, you know, if they'd forgotten about me. Well, they obviously haven't. And your readership has obviously expanded through Substack. You've always had a very big following when it comes to your broadcast and stuff like that. I'm going to tell you something that's going to shock you. And I, I'm not here to tell you you um, anything. Our listeners are here to hear you and your experience and your wisdom. But one of the most interesting interviews I ever did was back in 2011. I interviewed Abe Foxman. I had him on, I was working for Talk Radio Europe, and I had him on for about 40 minutes. Now, this is where you're, you're going to tear your hair out, Kevin. There, there isn't a copy of that interview in existence. Back then, the commercial radio station, it kept everything on file for 90 days and then deleted it. I didn't keep copies of my own shows at the time. I brought Foxman on because the owner of my radio station was a nice guy called Martin, a Jewish guy as it happened, and a synagogue leader or somebody who, who, who would read and say prayers in the synagogue. And he was very open, Martin, and he would allow me, you know, not allow me, but I would go on the air and talk about Israel. I would say whatever I liked, basically. And Martin was a big free speech champion. And he said, you should get Abe Foxman on from the ADL. And I had this wonderful interview with Abe Foxman, which is the way it used to be, where we kind of battered away at each other for about 40 minutes. And I said to him that his organisation was being used to basically chase people who were critical of the state of Israel and to try and tar them and smear them as racist. And, you know, rather than get irate about it and hang up, he stayed on the line and he came back at me. And it was a really good exchange, that. And I, I, it's to my lasting regret that I don't have it anymore. But the reason I'm telling you this story is because somewhere in the last 10, 12, 13 years, we've moved away from a place where people like him and others, whether we agree with them or not, whether we detest them or not, they would at least meet you in a public forum and they would throw their ideas at you and argue against yours. Now it's a case of, well, we don't debate haters and we're going to expend all of our time in getting you booted off the internet. That's happened in the space of about 12 years, hasn't it? Yeah, I think that's right. Although I think it might have taken a little longer than that. Uh, I personally would put the biggest turning point as uh, 9-11. Yeah. Because... Yeah, but before that, it was a different world. Basically, all of my academic colleagues that I ever spoke about the subject with, which was many dozens, agreed that the JFK assassination was probably a coup d'etat. I guess there were a couple who hadn't looked into it, but 
it wouldn't even wasn't even controversial. And people in the academy, especially where I was at places like San Francisco State, full of really wild and crazy people, were just doing whatever. And it was just taken for granted that there was pretty much absolute free speech. Some of it I was pretty uncomfortable with. Like I didn't like seeing the Nambla uh, pro pedophilia newspapers in the news boxes all over the Castro neighborhood, which they were. But, uh, hey, you know, people thought, well, free speech is totally absolute. And then 9-11 happened and everybody was panicked into some kind of irrational fear at a really deeply unconscious level. And I think that the mentality of the West in general and the USA in particular has completely shifted since then. Isn't it amazing when you think back, you had guys like Bill O'Reilly screaming at them, not at, not at people like you, which they did, of course, but screaming at the audience, support the troops or shut the hell up. Do you remember that? I'd never seen anything like that. You know, a, a news guy, you know, allegedly, obviously, shouting at people to shut up, support the troops or shut up. That was scary to me when I saw that years ago. Well, Hannity and O'Reilly actually shouted at me, too, on their show. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. Kind of Hannity, I remember. Yeah. It's how we met. That's right. Yeah. Jesus, Kevin, yeah. when you think back. Yeah, that's, that's not news. No, and, and, and you're right, definitely after 9-11. I mean, not to go back to my interview, I don't want to spend too much time in it, but I was able to say to Foxman at the time, I wish, I wish there was a copy of that interview in existence. I've since invited him back, saying, you know, you must remember who I am. The, the interview was brokered by a Jewish guy in Marbella. Let's get you back on. And I've never heard back from them. But I was able to say to this guy, look, I don't believe that Israel has the right to exist. I really don't, and I explained why. And I said to him, you don't get to say that I'm anti-Semitic because I believe that. You don't get to, I didn't use the term gaslight because it didn't exist back then. But I said, you don't get to render everything into simple absolutes. I have nothing against Jews. My boss is a Jewish guy. I really like him. My neighbours are Jewish. I don't believe Israel has the right to exist, and I'm entitled to say that without being cancelled or called a racist. And he was open to that. like, And that was only 12 years ago, Kevin. Yeah, well, there still are plenty of people open to that, but the overall zeitgeist has shifted, and especially yeah. the mainstream media institutions have changed. You know, I've invited the ADL uh, to come and debate with me or discuss with me whatever they don't like, and I'm willing to hear all of it. I might even admit that they're right about something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I've repeatedly done that, and of course, I've never heard back from them. And I'll probably do it again now that they've come after me again. And I unfortunately doubt that the results will be any different. Now, they won't get you off Substack, though, because th this is something you and I have talked about often. Not often, I should say. We've talked about it occasionally, but, but not often enough. How solid is the First Amendment in your country? How reliable is it, Kevin, at the moment? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's getting a little bit rickety, I'm afraid. Uh, the you know, de facto free speech situation, that is the, the way uh, free speech is practiced in, in reality, is, is not good anymore. And I mean, it, it's, you know, it's had its ups and downs historically, but right now it's really sad that uh, I, I think that the, the powers that shouldn't be have somehow succeeded in, a set, uh, go, they've targeted the left and liberal end of the spectrum, which traditionally was the free speech end. The, uh, for instance, the, the American Civil Liberties Union was mostly a bunch of liberals, uh, disproportionately Jewish, According to ADL, I shouldn't ever say anybody is disproportionately Jewish, but yeah, there are some groups, you know, some areas in society that are, and the, the ADL was, and that's all to the credit of Jewish people. Jewish left-leaning and liberal people at that time tended to be overwhelmingly pro-free speech to the extent they would be actually defending the right of Nazis to march right through Skokie, a Jewish neighborhood in Chicago. And now that's all changed. 
and again, I, I think it does. It starts with 9/11, but then I think the Trump presidency convinced uh, the left liberal side of the spectrum, or maybe it was part of a plot, to, you know, orchestrated plot to get the left liberal side of the spectrum to panic even worse than they panicked over 9/11. And to say, look, we need to restrict freedom because if we uh, continue to be free, then all of this this lumpen proletariat will keep voting for Trump, and and that could totally destroy everything. It's the end of the world. So let's start censoring the internet. And then, of course, COVID came along, and this notion of we have to censor medical misinformation, otherwise millions of people are going to die, panicked the left end of the spectrum and the liberals even more. And so now the left liberal side of the political spectrum is the biggest enemy of free speech. Now, there are uh, honorable exceptions like Glenn Greenwald and Naomi Wolf and so on. But unfortunately, it seems that that's where a lot of the uh, calls for an acceptance of censorship is coming from. Yeah. And you made a very interesting point about about Jewish liberals and their, you know, fastidious um, support of free speech. I remember Montel Williams years ago. He had some Ku Klux Klan kind of leftovers. And there was a Jewish guy there in the audience, a guy who was at one of the colleges in New York. And he said, absolutely, you know, these guys should be allowed to say what it is they want to say. You know, they exist. They have a right to exist. They have a right to their opinions. I trust the authorities will keep them away from me if they ever come uh, and try and get me. But they shouldn't be silenced. They shouldn't be banned. And I thought that was a remarkable attitude, Kevin, at the time, considering some of the things that the KKK guys were saying about uh, the Jewish guys. Speaking of Trump, right? I have a theory. I'll be as brief as I can. I'll be 15 seconds telling you the theory. Because of guys like you, and I'm not buttering you up, right? Because of the work you did post 9-11. Because until about seven or eight years ago, the internet was largely free and people could have their YouTube channels and, there, you know, there weren't so many algorithms shadow banning the channels. So it was a bit of an open kind of Wild West kind of a thing, which was a good thing. I think people began to see through the whole charade, the whole Hello, idea. Richie. Yeah, I've got you. Loud Seems and clear. Like we got cut off. Uh, we're back now. Can you uh, hear me? You can't. Hang up and call it. Tell you what we'll do. We'll, we'll, we'll disconnect and reconnect. Yeah. And this is these problems we're having on the interweb today with Virgin and all of this nonsense. Here we go. Let's see. Can we get Kevin back on the program? The time is 22 and a half minutes past the hour of six o'clock. I might very well need to take another tune. Flying blind here. It's telling me that it's difficult to make the connection to Kevin. So I will disconnect from him, take a tune, and come back with you in a moment with some more um, chat, hopefully. I'll hopefully get him back on. I'm staying with James Bond for the crack because it's the handiest album to me. And Shirley Bassey. This is Moonraker. Kevin, thanks for that. Do you know what's happening here in the UK today? Um, one of the biggest internet providers is Virgin Media, and it's had huge outages all over the country. It keeps coming out and coming in, so apologies for that, right? I'll make yeah, it, and here I thought it was the ADL. Yeah, the ADL, yeah, you see. This time it's not them. Let me um, summarise what I was saying to you. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be brief. Because the internet was, was very open up until about six, seven years ago, 
and because of the work of guys like you and in the early days Alex Jones and others people and after 9-11 people began to see through the charade the the the, the, the they began to see that the, the game was rigged and it didn't matter which politician they put in the White House or in Downing Street they began to see that and they became disenfranchised because of the internet and that was a good thing I think the elites whatever we want to call them I think they gave us Donald Trump because of that. They needed to re-engage people in the political drama, in the theatre. And that's a very simplistic, what I've just said there is very simplistic. But I think it has some merit. Do you go along with that in any way? Yes, and, and I would expand on that. I think that Sam Husseini is right, that Trump is the opposable thumb of the establishment. So I, I think that he was deliberately inserted in power by a coalition of establishment forces, not least of which is the state of Israel. And uh, Sam Husseini has also done good work on his Substack, which apparently the ADL doesn't want to publicize about that, uh, that Trump made a deal with uh, with Netanyahu's representatives in the summer of 2016. And that was the key thing that put, put him into the White House. Now, he, there's also other segments of the establishment that supported him as well, of course. And that was deliberate. Uh, as you say, I think they did want to revive the spectacle. And they also wanted to discredit anti-establishment thinking and populist thinking and what they consider conspiracy theories, starting, of course, with 9-11, the most important one and the most obviously true one. And so Trump was used to discredit all of those uh, lines of thought among the half-educated, that is the left liberal so-called intelligentsia, uh, the people who work for the uh, universities and the media. So yeah, I agree with you. I, th I think the Trump presidency is far from a uh, pure anti-establishment insurgency. It's rather an operation that had elements of an insurgency, but was also actually covertly supported by elements of the establishment. And they've used it for their own purposes, above all, this internet censorship. That's very well put, Kevin. I was saying this in 2015, but nowhere near as eloquently as you are saying it now. And obviously, I lost some listeners at the time, you know, because people thought, well, Richie, you should be delighted with Donald J. Trump and some of the things he's saying and I pointed out to my listeners at the, at the time, Kevin, I said, well, I don't believe him. This is this this is the issue. I don't believe him and I don't believe he's real. And I'm wide open to the Israel angle because, I mean, if, if, if moles exist, well, Jared Kushner is one gigantic mole, isn't he? Oh, yeah, of course. And, and Roger Stone actually was apparently the guy who cut the deal with the Israelis. And the whole Russiagate thing was a big distraction from that. There was really nothing to Russiagate or, or not much to it. But uh, Roger Stone was the one who was in touch with his Israeli handlers. And this has actually been reported now in a relatively mainstream publication in The Nation just, uh, I think, a few weeks ago or, or less. Uh, they had a story out detailing how Roger Stone uh, played intermediary between uh, Netanyahu and his people and Trump and uh, basically handed the 2016 election to him with the Russiagate aspect being secondary. And today, this, this uh, theatre, this circus, as we, we would call it, it's in full flow again today with this appearance in New York where he's being indicted, apparently 30-something felony counts. And I, I, I look, I, I'm certainly no genius, and I, I always caveat everything I say by saying that this is just my opinion. I think people like to hear that. It's just my opinion. But it, it, it couldn't look more staged than what's happening in New York today. And all of his followers, you know, coming down 4th Avenue, walking down, heading for the courthouse. Just one massive spectacle to rile them all up again. They'll believe that he's, 
he's the Messiah, the people who don't like him will believe he's the Antichrist, and all that really matters is they stay engaged and they can't wait to get out and vote next time, Kevin. Well, you know, what I thought was going to happen, Richie, was I figured Trump would sort of drive up to the police station where he's supposed to surrender. Yeah. And then he would take off and he would lead uh, a car chase like the OJ thing. Fantastic. With, uh, you know, helicopters, media and police helicopters following him oh. and hundreds of, uh, of squad cars following him yeah. all over New York for a couple of hours. And then he could surrender. And, you know, that. Would, but I mean, it's the kind of thing Trump would do. Couldn't you, Kevin? Isn't it a shame he didn't do that? Could you imagine? I'd be glued to it. I don't care. If he had me as his advisor, man, he would have. Uh, <laughs> yeah, come right. on, Trump, hire me, <laughs> Mr. Trump. This is the way it goes. Get into, get into a Camaro. Get into, I don't know, a Ford. Get into a Mustang, Donald, and just go for it. <laughs> Central Park, absolutely amazing. But yeah, and and um, that's madness, isn't it? And you've got a, a president in place at the moment who genuinely looks unwell and sounds unwell and can't read the auto cue. I don't like laughing at this because I'm pretty fond of older people and I'm not saying that to curry favour with older people. My favourite people in the world are septuagenarians and octogenarians who've lived a bit, who can give you a bit of advice and have got great stories to tell. But it's so bizarre, Kevin, to see Biden shuffle around, you know, and, and that, that, that he is the President of the United States. Again, it's almost like the elites like to laugh and joke and take the piss, to use that great British uh, term, out of us by, let's give them this creepy old man whose faculties are gone, and we'll tell them he's the president, and we'll all have a good laugh, you know? It does seem that way, and it, it seems like Biden's presidency is almost a sort of a metaphor for the state of the empire. You know, the U.S. empire is, a, is doddering and decrepit as well and has made all kinds of incredibly stupid moves. And of course, Biden has presided over one of the most stupid, which is inciting this war in Ukraine. All of this is backfiring. There's a great article by Ron Unz that came out yesterday, uh, succinctly expressing the sorts of things I've been saying for quite some time, that the neocons have run the U.S. empire off the cliff. They've been strategically uh, just beyond stupid in picking fights with Russia, China, and Iran all at the same time. You don't do that. And and as Ron Unz points out in his article, Brzezinski was actually a pretty smart strategist, had warned against this in his book, The Grand Chessboard, published in 1997. But these guys, uh, apparently they're so arrogant that they, or, or else they're just drunk on their own propaganda. So they're they're just going nuts and, and you know attacking everybody. And what they've done is they've created a, an anti-American, anti-West coalition of Russia, China, Iran, and now most of the non-Western world is joining it. Saudi Arabia has announced it's now you know getting out of dollars and and trading primarily with China, making peace with Iran, which the Americans of course didn't want. Brazil is now getting out of dollars. Um, India is getting out of dollars. Everybody's still trading with the Russians despite the sanctions. So the empire is just as doddering and decrepit as Joe Biden. You are listening to the academic, the broadcaster, author and researcher Kevin Barrett. Kevin, I, I said to Paul Craig Roberts a few weeks ago, in fact, he was on with me yesterday, but he was on with me six or eight weeks or 12 weeks ago, or something like that. And he, I, I, I love Paul because you never know which Paul you're going to get when you speak with him. You know, sometimes he's a bit grumpy, which I like because it's a great back and forth when he's a bit grumpy. But he was really kind of thoughtful this particular day. He's always intelligent. And I try to needle him by, by saying something which I do believe and I can't prove, of course. I said to him, I believe that we're meant to think that this it's a big mistake on behalf of the U.S., to be picking fights with China, Iran and Russia, it seems that way, and better men than me, 
including my, my guest Kevin Barrett today, believe this. But what if every single one of them is a player in the Great Reset game? What if Putin is controlled by forces, you know, working towards the same aims as the people who control Joe Biden? And I was hoping to kind of needle Paul, I hope he's not listening to this, um, because he's great when he's a bit grumpy. And he said to me really quietly, he said, I hope you're wrong, Richie, because if you're wrong, we're screwed. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I have no idea whether there is some kind of force out there that can exert that kind of power over all of these different capitals, including these seemingly independent ones. I mean, it's obvious that the U.S. empire exerts tremendous force and power over the European capitals, for example, uh, over Japan, which is still occupied. Yeah. And so that that we can see. It's, and Germany. It's, in Germany is the most occupied of the European countries, of course, but they're all pretty occupied at this point. So is there some other force that is totally unseen that is maybe even more in control? And there are all kinds of speculations about this from, you know, international banking syndicates to uh, extraterrestrials and everything in between. Uh, and I just haven't seen enough evidence to believe that. So I guess I'm, I'm with, uh, with uh, Paul Craig Roberts on that one. That's it. I, I hope that's not true. Yeah, I, I agree I with you. I, I hope it's not true either. I really do. I hope it's not true because there, there's no way out of it then. It's inevitable. This technocratic, dystopian, horrible society they want to create where we're scanned and stalked and surveilled from morning till, till nighttime. Cashless, Kevin, you must be seeing this. You're a little bit older than I am. I was in a corner shop here the other day and I don't see it too often, but when I see it, it really makes my heart sink. I see youngsters ahead of me paying for chocolate, uh, bars of chocolate, with the phone, Kevin. And I think they don't realise the dangers of it, you know? Yeah, I see people wandering around, staring into their phones, looking like zombies in a George Romero film. Yeah. I'm the last man on earth without a cell phone, pretty much, and I couldn't survive without my wife, so I shouldn't brag, but... Yeah, I, I'm also very uh, alienated by you know the way technology has transformed humanity in mostly a bad way. It seems to me overall, I think things were better when I was younger, back in you know the second half of the 20th century, and and this century has really been a washout so far. And yeah. all of these wonderful technological advances actually make life worse rather than better. You know, my father actually said this about email when it first came in. He said, this is a terrible invention. People are going to have to spend so much of their lives just answering and responding to emails. Um, it would be better if it didn't exist. He also said that the privatization of the telephone companies was terrible, breaking up Ma Bell into lots of little companies, even if the prices go down and stuff. Uh, ultimately, you're, you'd be much better off if you had a sort of a transparent public utility like Ma Bell was. And indeed, I think the, the world got worse. It got more confused there. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think technology is, is overall uh, making things worse. And whether we're ever going to get smart enough to be able to collectively reject some new technology like AI, for example, which its own inventors say, ha half of them say that there's a 10% chance it's going to lead to human extinction. So even Yuval Harari, the uh, extremist, you know, transhumanist techno freak, is writing front page op-eds for the New York Times, begging AI to be put on hold. Well, I don't, I don't know if it's something that I don't think AI is under enough control to uh, to put itself on hold. And apparently, these people who are doing the research who think that they're risking human extinction 
are evil enough that they're willing to keep doing that work. So, boy, I, it's it's kind of a sad comment on our species that we put up with all of this. Funny you said this about um, AI. Wasn't it only late last year that somebody working for Google, Kevin, believed that the bot he was conversing with was sentient, was actually conscious? That was last year, wasn't it? Yes, you know, I, I just wrote a piece, uh, sort of picking up on and running that, running with that. You know, I, I suggested that from my point of view, the two real problems with AI are first that it's basically a lie machine, because it's pretending to be a human. It's that's what it's programmed to do is to try to imitate human thought and human speech, but it's not a human. So by definition, it's lying in the same way that when a, uh, a computer voice calls you up and tries to convince you it's a human that wants to sell you something that it, there's a lie at the basis of that telephone call because it's not a human being. But they try to make it look like it's a human being, just you know, like when they send you junk mail with apparent handwriting on it. That's all lies. And you should be very angry at anybody who lies to you in that way. So we should, you should be very angry at everybody involved in developing this kind of AI because it's based on the lie of creating a lie machine that lies to you by telling you that it's human when it's not. And so we're baking these lie machines. That's bad enough. But then there is the possibility that they're going to be infested by demonic jinn. Now, Richie, don't don't start laughing at I'm me. I'm not because... going to laugh. Not at all. No, no. <laughs> yeah. They, a lot of people uh, don't buy into this notion that there are there is such a thing as disembodied spirits, but a lot of people do in many cases because they've actually run into them firsthand. And Malachi Martin, the former Vatican exorcist, has written extensively about his uh, practice. And those who read that would probably, you know, either say he has to be lying or, yeah, there are these disembodied spirits. And a lot of them are really not very nice. And I, I mentioned in my article that I know a guy who was involved with a Ouija board seance thing with when he was a kid. And the Ouija board told them that so-and-so, so one of their classmates, was going to die. And then, sure enough, the kid died shortly thereafter. Jesus. And they were so creeped out and wondering whether the kid died because of their Ouija experience. Well, a Ouija board is just a bunch of bits of language that are being sort of assembled half randomly and then half with a certain amount of human intervention. But it's ultimately out of human control. The exact same thing is true of AI. And so if a Ouija board can get infested by a spirit... How about an AI program? So that's another uh, problem. Why would we want to build a lie machine that is open to being infested by what could become satanic jinn or evil spirits? I've never done this as many times in an interview. I talk about myself. My listeners might laugh at this point, but I don't. I don't ever do that. I did several interviews, a series, some years ago with a guy called Father Vince Lampart. You know who he is, Kevin? Uh, I, I'm forgetting. I heard the name. Yeah, you, you, you definitely have. He is the only appointed Catholic Church exorcist in the United States. And he's in New York and he is the most genial, easygoing, chatty and uh, approachable gentleman. And he'd be a fantastic guest for you on your show, uh, would, would Father Vince. I brought him on initially when I was in Spain and then he did an interview with me in London on TPV. And I've had him on this show twice, but not for years. And he explained to me what, what happens during, during an exorcism. And we talked about it. And then I found out later on that when, um, I don't know if it's an, an imam, Kevin, but who in Islam would perform an exorcism? But Vince was telling me it's exactly the same procedure, basically. The language will differ. But the demonic entity comes out the crown of the head. Is that right? That's where they pull this thing out of the head. And he described some of this, Kevin, and uh, I believed him. I believed every word he told me, to be honest. 
Right. Well, so imagine if we create these really brilliant lie machines that yeah. can get infested with these kinds of really nasty uh, <laughs> off-world, what do you wear, you know, extra-dimensional entities. Uh, that, that wouldn't be so good. So again, this is a kind of, you know, of course, that's somewhat speculative, but still, it seems to me that this is obviously one of those technologies that just shouldn't be developed, or at least should be paused for several centuries. Well, I, I want to finish with this, if you don't mind. And um, you, you are listening to Kevin Barrett, by the way. Kevin will tell you in a moment where you, you need to go to find him. That's in the unlikely event that you haven't heard of Kevin. I'm sure you've heard of Kevin. But if you're new to these types of programs, Kevin will tell you in a minute where to go. Kevin Barrett, the academic, the broadcaster, and uh, the writer, of course, the author. Um, you will, probably will have come across in your travels Richard D. Hall. Um, I'm not the biggest fan, but it doesn't matter. I'm not here to bash the lad. I have nothing against him whatsoever. He never did me any harm at all. Um, it's styles. Styles make, you know, for interesting things. And not for me, I don't think. But anyhow, there's a case here. Um, it, it kind of echoes the Alex Jones case. They're coming after Richard D. Hall here. They're suing him for defamation. People who were injured at the Manchester Arena bombing back in 2017. I'm sure you will have been made aware of this by now. And I'm sure you'll have thoughts on it. What do you do you think? Because I think this is, for me, it's, this is the simplistic, again, way of looking at it. But they, the noose is tightening now on freedom of expression and on free speech everywhere in the world. And I think we here in the UK are in the crosshairs maybe more than most other places in the world at the moment. So they're saying to him that um, he's being sued for defamation, could lose everything, because he said that an event, uh, you know, a big event, an attack, a bombing at the arena didn't happen. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, first off, I think that when people are investigating these kinds of things, it's really a good idea to try to be congenial with everybody that you deal with, you know, and, and rather than coming at them and, oh, you're a liar, you didn't, you weren't really injured by this, you didn't really lose your child at Sandy Hook, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, that's not how I would reach out to those people, because you're really asking for trouble when you do that. And part of the trouble, I think, that some of these people have gotten into, I, I haven't studied the Manchester case closely enough. I remember when it happened, looking into it and finding uh, suspicious details about it, foreknowledge issues and such, but I, I don't remember those details right now. Um, but in general, I do think that this notion that uh, nobody died, uh, nothing ever happened, that, that meme has been spread by uh, the Cass Sunsteins of the world, that is, the cognitive infiltrating uh, disinformation entities, uh, often related to intelligence agencies, in order to precisely create this kind of scenario where they can demonize the truth movement by saying that these truthers are a bunch of deniers who are causing immense pain to the survivors of these events by harassing them. And anybody who investigates these kinds of events by jumping to the conclusion that nothing happened and then sort of harassing somebody who claims to have been victimized by that event is really setting themselves up and setting the truth movement up for really bad results. So um, I, I don't know the details again about this Manchester case and Richard Hall, but I would uh, just from what little I've seen about it, it, it looks to me like maybe he did make a mistake in the way he pursued his inquiry. 
And I think people should be really cautious about this because the bad guys really want you to run around saying that, no, there's no such thing as viruses. COVID doesn't exist. Yeah. Nobody died at Sandy Hook. Nobody died on 9-11. Nobody died in Manchester, yada, yada, yada. That's what they want you to say uh, because it discredits the truth movement. Yeah, and, and, and my, my issue with um, with um, guys like Richard, say, even though I don't know the chap, I've never had an exchange with him. I have nothing against him. Why would I? Um, we don't move in the same circles, I, I, I don't do what he does and, and vice versa, is that they don't leave any room at all for the possibility that they might not have all of the facts. Yes, Salman Abedi is an incredibly curious and sinister character. His father, Ramadan Abedi, was paid by MI6 to assassinate Gaddafi. How ironic that it should be his son that blew himself up at the arena. There are a thousand things wrong with the story. But it doesn't mean that an explosion didn't go off somewhere at the arena. And I happen to know, personally, one of the nurses who worked at the Royal Infirmary that night and treated people there, Kevin. People got injured there, there's no doubt about that. That doesn't mean that something happened there and, you know, that, that, a, that a different spin was put on it by the government for another, for another agenda. But um, you've got to leave yourself room for being wrong. I said this to Alex Jones. I used to speak to Alex regularly, regularly. He would come on with me and he had me on Infowars and I butted heads with him about Sandy Hook. I said, I'm pretty sure that Lenny Posner's son died in, 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 in that school, Alex. You know, I, I, can't, I don't think this guy is lying. Now, it doesn't mean that the shooting itself isn't sinister, that it was maybe carried out by somebody else. But you've got to leave yourself room. The problem with these guys, Kevin, is they leave no room whatsoever. It's either black or white. Life is not like that. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think there's also an element of sort of one-upsmanship that, you know, once you go down the rabbit hole and you see how extreme everything is and how badly you're being lied to, there's a tendency to sort of start competing with the other people in the rabbit hole to see, you know, who can be the most radical. And so kind of the ultimate radical position in these cases is to sort of be ultimately denialist and to say, you know, nothing happened, nobody died, it's all a big hoax. And there's a temptation to do that because, you know, you're being lied to so badly that you want to just say, reject everything and say it's all a lie. But in so many of these cases, there really is a bomb that went off. In Boston, for example, the Boston Marathon bombing, I'm pretty sure a bomb really did go off, despite the work of people like Jim Fetzer and others who've claimed that it didn't. And uh, so, I, I, you know, in a way, it's kind of it would be a compliment to the orchestrators of these events if they were so humanitarian that they didn't want to kill anybody. But I don't think that's the case. I think they were they're perfectly willing to kill all kinds of people. And I think they did kill nearly 3000 people on 9-11. And uh, they killed a huge number of little kids in the daycare center in the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, and on and on and on. And so I, I'm really not convinced that there is much validity to this sort of nobody died uh, trope. There may or maybe some case, you know, one of these cases, maybe it's true, but I haven't seen any that I'm where I'm convinced that uh, there was a completely fake event and nobody died. Well, as we discussed in the past, it's much easier for the orchestrators of these events to actually kill people, isn't it? It's much more simple. Why, why, why would you use crisis actors for a start? Why would you use them all the time? Look, I'm willing to, I, I'm open-minded to the idea that crisis actors were used in the past. Of course I'm open-minded to that. Of course it's possible. But it's much easier to just kill people. As you, you said it yourself, you summed it up beautifully, as if they're concerned about killing people. Killing people is what they do, Kevin. 
Yeah, that's right. And in a lot of these cases, we know that they kill people. And the, and the people who are experts in creating these kinds of events are professional killers. Like in Iran, I, I visited Tehran a couple of months ago and talked to some professors who were studying what's been going on with the destabilization of Iran. And what they said was that the uh, usual suspects create these demonstrations. They use their power in social media, plus lots of money. They distribute vast amounts of money to pay people to create these like anti-hijab you know, hijab law demonstrations and things like that. They're able to usually get maybe a few dozen or a hundred people out there. And then they have their mechanics, their, you know, their professional uh, killers, in, mixed in with the demonstration. And then they shoot the demonstrators point blank from behind. And then they even randomly just kill people up, yeah, up to blocks away from the demonstration. They call it taking the toll because now they get a death toll to report in the Western media saying that the evil Iranian police who are pressing the poor hijab, non, you know, hijab wearing women are uh, killing all of these demonstrators. When in fact, the entire thing was orchestrated by these professional killers and they definitely do kill people. They have absolutely no compunction. They seem to actually enjoy it. So the idea that they would do a nobody died operation strikes me as pretty dubious from the get go. Dubious and time um, time constraints on that and labour intensive when just kill people. Kevin, um, we didn't even talk about Morocco. Let's do that next time because I'm fascinated by that. Um, and of course, regards to Rabia, but where can people who are brand new to this type of programme, where should they go to find Kevin Barrett? Well, I suppose the best place is kevinbarrett.substack.com. And then they can also, if, if you want to make a donation to me, you can PayPal to truthjihad at gmail.com. And I always say to listeners, and I mean it, if you, um, you, if you listen to Kevin if you, or anybody and you listen to them regularly and you're getting something out of that, put your hand in your pocket and support it 100%. KevinBarrett.substack.com. Kevin, thanks for coming back on and thanks for understanding about yesterday. Um, that was a whole other crazy day. Today's an even crazier day with all these internet problems here in the UK, but um, it held together for us. So uh, love having you on, pal. I look forward to next time. Likewise, Richie. It's always good to talk with you. Thanks, Kevin. Bye for now. The great Kevin Barrett live on Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. The time is coming up for 10 minutes to the top of the air. I'm telling you that because you might be listening to it on the repeat cycle. That's how it might be. You might be listening to it on the repeat cycle. Um, here is share, share. And uh, if I can or could turn back time. That's the one. This had some sexy video, remember? To all the listeners who have become loyal customers of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last year, we would like to say a big thank you. Because of your continued support, we have been able to introduce our second product. This unique supplement is formulated specifically to reduce pain caused by joint inflammation. Our organic turmeric-based supplement contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract which massively increases its bioavailability and thereby reaching the inflammation area faster. If you are suffering from joint pain, go to NutraHealth365.com for specific details on how our joint health supplement can help give you relief. That's NutraHealth365.com with free tracked delivery. You're listening to the saviour of independent media, Richie Allen. Yeah, we're nearly done for today. It's been an interesting programme, if I do say so myself. Thanks to Caroline Farrow and to uh, Kevin Barrett, the time coming up for five minutes to the top of the hour. I'm going to do a phone-in show tomorrow, Wednesday. 
Um, so look out for that and all the details on richieallen.co.uk tomorrow morning. I'll be doing a feminine tomorrow, so I look forward to hearing from you. If you've never called in, please do. If you are a lady and you've never called in, please do. I'm not going to manipulate the, you know, the calls coming in because I can't do that. I take calls blind on the show. I, I can't sort them or filter them, which is no bad thing. So I can't do that. And I'm not trying to, you know, go all BBC and address the gender imbalance. I'm not trying to do that either. But um, lately it's been a bit, quite a bit more blokes than than ladies. And it's a nice balance. It sounds nice, you know. So if you are a lady, and I mean a real lady, you can't come on here as a trans woman to fill that gap, you know, to, you know what I mean. So if you're a, a proper woman... <laughs> Do get in touch with me tomorrow on the programme. I'm looking forward to your calls and we will exclusively talk about the issues tomorrow. The issues, the issues, the issues. No anecdotes, just the issues tomorrow on the phone in. I, I really do look forward to that. So you have just just been, again, for, for for those who normally listen live and you couldn't and now you're listening to the podcast, let me explain what happened. My internet service provider is Virgin. And Virgin has been tweeting that they've had a, a repeat this evening of a problem which they had this morning, which is causing broadband connectivity issues for some customers. They've apologised for it, blah, blah, blah. That's what happened, really. It was kind of strange because I could log on to Facebook, for example, and I could update on Facebook, but I couldn't get on to Twitter and the stream wouldn't connect for me to stream the programme. And we've also got to bear in mind the company that is streaming me is in the UK, but it's not in Salford. So it's in another part of the country, in the northeast as it happens. And they've had their problems as well with Virgin Media. So it's been a bit of a mess today. Hopefully they will sort it out. I'm sure they will sort it out. And we won't see a repeat of that tomorrow. And we will have a phone-in show that passes by without incident. Again, thank you so much to the great Kevin Barrett and the wonderful Caroline Farrow. That's it for Tuesday's show. I look forward to tomorrow. Until then... Jesus, that was loud. Until then, I'll leave you at level 42 and lessons in love. Language lessons. Lessons in love. See you tomorrow. Bye.